no matter how strong that trauma is or that pain is like it happens so you can grow and I, I really feel like we only get dealt with what we can handle Welcome back. You're listening to Let It Out with me. I'm your host, Katie Dalebout. Every week I talk to fascinating people, and this week I have a perfect Halloween week episode. I talked to Deborah, the founder of Mama Medicine. She has this beautiful space in Soho where she does medicine readings and events and so much more. In this episode, we talk about self-care and being your own healer. We also talk about her business and how she started her first business at 24. We talk about masculinity and femininity and entrepreneurship, motherhood. She's someone so in her feminine, but also so entrepreneurial and smart and wise. We talk about rituals and ritual baths. We talk about how she met her husband, which is this magical, lovely story. We talk about hometowns and our relationships to them, which are sometimes complicated so much. It's a long one. It's a really good one, a deep one. We get into so many different things. We talk about history and how places with a lot of history have a lot of spiritual charge. I think you'll really like this episode. I want to get to it as quickly as possible. Thank you so much for listening every week. If you are new, I'm so glad you found this podcast. I wrote a book a couple years ago called Let It Out. It's about journaling. I'd love for you to check it out. Anyway, I get a lot of questions on how I got my book deal, how I got a book deal with Hay House, and my publisher is doing a writer's workshop right now. So I just wanted to tell you about that in case you also wanted to write a book or had questions. I'll link to that in the show notes and just message me if you have any questions about that. Let's get to my episode with Deborah, and at the end, I'll do the little segment, Likes and Learns, my new segment, which I'm really enjoying, and I would love to hear what you guys think of it. So talk to you in a bit. Enjoy my episode with Deborah. This week's episode is brought to you in part by Sustain. Sustain is one of my favorite companies. I've used their products for years and I even had their founder Mika on the podcast years ago, long before they were a sponsor. And you might already know this, but maybe you don't. It's really important what you put inside of your vagina. Our vaginas are actually the most absorbent, porous parts of our body. So what goes in there really counts. And Sustain is your one-stop shop for all vagina-friendly products, including condoms, tampons, lube. They make these really great wipes that I enjoy. And what do we mean by vagina-friendly? We mean organic, vegan, fair trade, sustainably made, and of course, free of synthetic ingredients commonly found in these products. Again, it's really important to think about what you're putting in your vagina. There are over 20 million women in the U.S. who lack 
access to reproductive health care and sustain and the founder are really helping to bring accessibility to people and minka who did my podcast like i said she founded the company with her father who was the founder of seventh generation and they are really helping women with sexual and reproductive health in this company i love them so much and right now you guys listeners of this podcast can get 20 percent off your first order and free shipping when you use the code let it out at checkout that's let it out the name of this podcast at checkout sustain is so wonderful i love them so much go to sustainnatural.com that's sustain all of your period and sexual reproductive health needs i love sustain and i think you will too use the code let it out at checkout Today's episode is also brought to you by Altera Pure, a textile system designed to change the way you think about organic bedding. I'm obsessed with these sheets, you guys. I've told you about it before, but my obsession hasn't lessened at all. It still gives me that dopamine hit every time I get into bed. They are these cool, crisp sheets that are made with 310 count, 100% verified organic cotton. They are farm to fabric in their business model. They focus on social sustainability through their deliberate design, organic verification, and fair trade partnerships with farm co-ops. I talked to the founder, he is a delight. I swear this company is so wonderful and I'd never had really nice sheets before and now I do. I love my duvet cover and my natural sheets. I think they're great and I really, really think you will too. Each purchase directly benefits the farmers that grew the cotton for the sheets. They even use packaging that's created from upcycled scraps of cotton and recycled paper. I think you'll really enjoy them. Use the code let it out to get 15% off your entire order. That's the code let it out to get 15% off your entire order. The link's in the show notes. Thank you, Altera. I really love you guys. Thank you so much for doing this. Thanks for having me. I feel like it's been on my calendar for a long time. Yeah. But you sound great. We'll just keep talking like we are now. Okay. So like I said, I love this space. I had my medicine reading with Amanda, who's my collaborator. She, I think I mentioned this to you, she gifted it to me for my birthday. And I was so excited to come into this space. And it was everything I, I thought of and more. So I really want to focus on you and tell your story from beginning to end. So let's start at the beginning. Where did you grow up? What were you like as a kid? What did you want to be when you grew up as a kid? I grew up in middle of the woods, very northern Connecticut. And I don't know, I guess as a kid, I was already very mystical, you know, because for as long as I can remember, I've been able to see auras. I'm wondering now if maybe that happened from a head injury that I had when I was five. But I... You know, I could always see like the colors and shapes around people and like really see a lot about people when I first met them. And I would spend a lot of time with another friend who was like really into rocks. We would go out in like the rivers and the streams in the forest and we would find like quartz crystal and smoky quartz and mica and stuff like that. And then we would collect the rocks and study the rocks (laughs) like geologists. And, you know, I had like a kind of interesting upbringing. So from 
birth till around age 12, I was raised very, very strict Northern Baptist, which is like an, an, not what you think about when you think about Baptist. Um, but then when I was 12, my a lot changed in my family and it just got like really, really tumultuous and really like a very toxic environment. Um, and so it went from being super strict to at 12, like having no rules, no curfew, no, no boundaries at all. And so I ended up hanging out with people way old. Like I was going to bars when I was 13 with a fake ID, you know? And so then when I was 17, I had like a series of three really strong tragedies happen right in a row. And that's when I sort of like snapped back into my more mystical self. And I began doing yoga and meditation and I became a vegetarian and sort of like the start of what I'm doing now, really, it started when I was 17. Like when I was 17, I was done partying and like going out and Wow. You know, it's like your <laughs> path here was like, you're going to do this quick because yeah. we got to get you here. Yeah. Wow. Like you have to experience it because you have to know what it's like to be like a normal yeah. person, you know, but also like, it's not, it's not for you. And like, it really, it really showed me a lot that, that, that whole path of like going out and things like that just really wasn't for me. Yeah. Wow. Okay, I want to pick up on so many things. First thing I'm curious about. So you said when you were five, you had a head injury. Yeah. Do you remember seeing auras before you were five? And what happened when you were five? I just don't know. I can't remember before yeah, I was five. Right. Honestly, like I don't Same. don't have that good of a memory, I guess. But I I just like was playing like a normal kid, like swinging around and I hit my head on the corner of a door and my head just like really like split. I still have like the scar from Did my head. Just like, yeah. I had to wow. get stitches. I, I remember being like totally unconscious and feeling like I spent weeks in like wow. this unconscious realm. And like, I remember there being like no pain at all, even when my head was getting sewn up, like, and this, you know, you fall asleep somewhere and then you wake up and you're somewhere else kind yeah. of thing. So I remember what the experience was like. Wow. Yeah. That's fascinating. Like Harry Potter kind of. <laughs> yeah, like Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> when I'm just curious now, because I don't know, I'm kind of curious about what you think about everything because <laughs> yeah. I just think you're such a fascinating person. What about like scars and injuries like that? Like, for instance, I fell when I was like seven or eight and I have a really big scar on, on my knee. Like, do you think that there's any significance in that sort of thing? Oh, totally. Tell, tell me totally. more. Totally. Like, you know, you're, you point to your left knee yeah. with that. So it's like, that's your connection to your, it's where you, you would hold your connection to like your mom, your connection to the feminine, your connection to like your mom's <laughs> lineage. Like, you know, it's right there. So I totally feel like scars and things like that and injuries show up in specific places for our learning. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. fascinating. Okay. So another thing 
you mentioned that the Northern Baptist. Mm-hmm. So is that like kind of evangelical Christian? Yeah. And do you have brothers and sisters or is it just you and your parents? Yeah, I have an older brother. He's two years older. Okay. Yeah. So what was happening family-wise that that made that shift when you were 12? I think that it was like a combination of my dad working all the time and just like never really being around. And possibly it's when he started an affair. I don't know, Mm. possibly. And then my mom just kind of giving up. She just like gave up, you know? And the the part of that giving up involved like alcohol and then mixing alcohol with different like anti-anxiety and depression medication, which you're really not supposed to do. And so, but we would, we didn't know it was like a closet in the closet thing. Mm. So we would come home and never know what to expect really. Mm. So hard. Yeah. It was like a, it was like an unsafe environment, you know? Yeah. Like you never know what you're going to come home to. Yeah. At the same time, it's like, I, I don't know. I'm so grateful for that time. Like, I'm grateful that she gave up. Like, I am grateful that my dad wasn't around and that my brother and I, we became so close because we really mm-hmm. just like had each other. Yeah. Like my poor brother, by the way, when I was going through my partying phase. Yeah. <laughs> was, how did he respond to what was happening at home? It's so interesting. I think there was something up with that church that we were in mm-hmm. too. Like there's something very culty about it because like all the other kids, it's also something to do as well with the demographic where we grew up. But it's like all the other kids we went to church with or lived around us, They, this is not an exaggeration, are dead, in jail, prostitutes, like drug addicts, totally like messed up and my brother and I I think because we got out young maybe we both ended up okay but his response to going from like very strict Baptist to no rules no boundaries was we were once at the church at night for like a youth group thing and a pastor took his guitar my brother is an amazing guitar player a pastor took his guitar and smashed it (gasps) yeah why because he was playing like a rock song that was not Christian, you know? And that should be not a lot, like that's an expensive thing. Like yeah. you should have to pay for that. Yeah. It's like not okay. And my brother's response was like to go full on like death metal, <laughs> like long hair. And wow. Like black, you know? Yeah. 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 So we both like, Totally your own rebellious in your own ways. Yeah. 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 So at age 12, then did you, did you guys quit the church then? Mm -hmm. You stopped going. Yeah. Which we stopped. Thankfully. Yeah. It sounds like that would have maybe been even worse. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder why, like it's too many kids in like the generation Mm -hmm. that we had in that church that were, that came out like so incredibly messed up. It's too many of them for it to be a coincidence, you know? Yeah. It's bizarre. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting. Are your parents still there? No, they, they stopped like, they totally stopped going when I was 12. Yeah. I mean, in Connecticut though. Oh yeah. Yeah. They're in Connecticut. They're divorced. Thankfully. (laughs) I a similar situation where it wasn't a shock when my parents told me they were getting divorced. It was kind of like, okay, that's right. (laughs) Like that, that, that seems like a 
the right thing for you too. <laughs> yeah. Even though that is hard on children, but for anyway, it's a whole nother. I mean, we saw it coming. Yeah, exactly. we were not surprised. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not a. It's not a shock. What's interesting is I know you're so connected to places. So if you go back to that place, do mm-hmm. you feel the energy of like how? Because I even I'm very different from from you, and not I want to be more connected. But when I go to my hometown, I feel so much. So many feelings. Yeah. <laughs> so how do you handle that? Do you go back often? And what, what do you feel? Hmm. I don't really go to my hometown too, too often, maybe like twice a year. Like I feel like a lot of us have resistance to where we grew up. Mm-hmm. Right. But I think it's really interesting. So when I was 16 and I just got my license, I was driving through the center of town, which is like one street, you know, and I saw this old man walking in the rain and I felt so bad for him. He just looked so like cold and so wet. And so I pulled over and I was like, hey, do you want to ride? And so he hops in my car and he ended up being a shaman from the Native American reservation right near my house. While I was driving, he was doing this rattling all over me. And he was like, you, you, you need to like cleanse. And he was like, I'm giving you a cleansing. I was like, okay. And he told me, and I'll never forget it. He was like, whatever you do, you have to get out of this town. Like you cannot stay here. And that stuck with me so strongly that like the next year when I was 17 and I was totally on my own, I was like, okay, bye. You know, I'm out of here. Like Where did you go? I first, I went to as close as I could get to the city, New Jersey, Mm -hmm. you know, I lived in Montclair for a little bit. And then I went out to Vancouver, BC, and then back to the city. Why did you always want to be in New York? Mm -hmm. It was like, okay, so the first time I came here, I think I was 15. And I came here and I was like, oh, I'm going to live here one day. Why do you think that was? What was the pull? There's just so much energy. Like I am very kind of fast paced. New York City in the summertime for me, it's like, it's so hard because it's so slow. And we were talking about working before Mm -hmm. and like I can wake up and work from like 6 a.m. to like 11 p.m., wake up the next morning and just have a ton of energy Mm -hmm. to get up and keep going again. Like I I just have like so much energy and New York City, when I came here, I was like, okay, this place can keep up with me. Mm. Yeah. Wow. That's so interesting. Yeah. I heard that. Ruby Warrington on this podcast told me it's built on a crystal. Yeah. 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 It's like, it's super charged here. Like everything that you do is so enhanced. Yeah. Like if you are creative, you're going to be super creative here. If you're crazy, you're going to be super crazy Mm -hmm. here. It's like. It's a town of extremes. Yeah. Let's go back to the hometown thing. Yeah. I I think that's fascinating because you said most people feel interesting about their hometown. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that is? I think that when we, from when we are born to when we're about 
20 and I'll, I'll, I'll even say 25. We're in like a highly, highly developmental phase of our lives, you know, like so many psychic imprints are being made. So many emotional imprints are being made and really a lot of like the habits and the patterns that we'll have for life kind of form during that time. And I think that if we have habits and patterns that don't really serve us, we can have a tendency to associate where we grew up with our pain. That makes a lot of sense. So going back to that time, 13 to 17, you're partying and kind of getting a lot of this out of your system. Mm -hmm. And I heard on Luke's podcast that your grandfather was Native American. Mm -hmm. And you met that shaman and that you drove in the city. How did that impact you? And then maybe bring us into the loss that happened to kind of lead you into getting into shamanism. Yeah. Where I grew up in Connecticut, it's very, it's still very like heavily Native American. Like there's Native American reservations kind of everywhere around where I grew up. But it isn't like this kind of idealized version. I think that in modern society we have of like what it would be like to like grow up near a Native American reservation. And yeah, my grandfather, he was half Poghunk, which is like part of the Mohegan tribe. And he was just such an awesome guy. Like constantly singing to birds wow. and always outside with us and he he loved his tobacco <laughs> so he was part of your life for a long time yeah yeah he he we were like really close as a family for sure mm -hmm. and i think that he had a really hard time when he was growing up because his mom was Native American and his dad was not, I think his dad was like of English descent. Mm -hmm. And it was like a really complicated mix because there was so much like racism and stuff like that. And, you know, with that kind of mixed marriage. Um, so he had a lot of like his own stuff that he was working out with who he was, but he still kept like these very magical parts of him, you know, that just would like come out because that's just who he was. Like he walk outside, hear a bird whistling, and then he would sing right back to the bird. And then the bird would sing right back to him, you know? That's so cool. Yeah. So you're around that influence and then you end up, do you know, other than driving him that one time, do you meet the shaman in the town Often, was he an influence on you? Mm -mm. Just that one? Yeah, I would just like see him from time to time, but just kind of let him do his mm -hmm. thing. You yeah. know, he was so old. Yeah. <laughs> and he he would spend like hours and hours every day in the town library, just like reading all wow. the books. And so when I when I picked him up, he had just come from there. So I would see him like around that town, like here and there, like going to the library and yeah. that kind of thing. But I never really spoke with him again after that. You were talking about psychic imprints that happen when mm -hmm. we're young, especially like traumatic ones or tiny things that we wouldn't even 
know are traumatic at the time that end up blocking us later. And I've been thinking about that a lot lately. But when you bring up that, I also think about good imprints like that. Like that was a brief interaction that at the time Mm -hmm. you probably just like dropped him off and went to where you're going and like really didn't think much of it. But here we are a bunch of years later talking about it and how like that small interaction with that person might have impacted you in some way. And I feel like I, we all do, but we have moments when we're young of these good things that happen to us. Like a teacher who I had an English teacher who was wonderful, who made me feel like maybe I wasn't like, I was maybe smart, like maybe, you know? (laughs) And she, if I wouldn't have had her, like, I don't, I don't know if I would have ever been able to like do anything, Mm -hmm. you know? How do you think that, I guess I don't really have like a specific question around that, but just those little moments of how do we hang on to and remember those small moments and forget the the imprints that are holding us back? I don't know. I, I actually feel like it's important to try to remember it all so you can learn and grow from all of it, whether it's like, you know, because when it's a painful imprint, right, or like traumatic even, it happens, but you're still growing and you're still learning. And no matter how strong that trauma is or that pain is like it happens so you can grow. Yeah. And I I really feel like we only get dealt with what we can handle. And like for me, when I was growing up, everything that I went through, I know that I had to go through all of these experiences so I can help people on a massive level and becoming from a place where when they're really suffering, I understand that. Like I yeah. felt that, mm-hmm. you know, I haven't maybe felt the exact kind of suffering that they've experienced, but at the same time, I'm equipped to handle whatever it is that they are bringing in. Yeah. And so it's like with the painful times, it's, it's gratitude, it's learning, it's growing. But then also with the light, it's like, it's gratitude, it's learning, it's growing. It's like singing to a bird and the bird singing back to you, you know? Yeah. You articulated that so well. Okay. Let's go back. So you are 17 and you get out, Mm -hmm. you have some traumatic things happen to you Mm -hmm. that is sort of a catalyst that shifts you. Can you talk about that? And what do you do? I had a week where someone who I loved very, very much died. Mm. And then in the same week, my dog died. Oh my God. And then uh, who was like my, my protector, you yeah. know? And then at the end of that week, my parents were like, by the way, we're getting a divorce and you have to decide where you're going to live and how you're going to support yourself. And you're 17. Yeah. So, and I had like a month left before I was meant to graduate high school. And because I wasn't like my happy-go-lucky self, all of my friends stopped talking to me. Oh my God. So it was like, it was intense. Wow. I I still like, actually not so much in the past couple of years, but up until a couple of years ago, I would still have nightmares about you have to go back to high school. You didn't finish. Oh my gosh. So you didn't finish that last <laughs> no, month. I did. I did. Oh. I stuck it out. Wow. It was really hard, but I, I stuck it out and I graduated. And I I remember thinking like, I just can't get out of here quick fast enough. Yeah. 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 So you, you leave, you go. Yeah. The first place I moved to was like, 
just what I could afford, which was this really terrible apartment with roommates in downtown Hartford, which is like, it was really, really bad neighborhood. Mm. And I had like three bartending jobs. This is at 17, by the way. Oh my God. You know, and I started putting myself through community college with that for fine arts. And it just, I didn't really like the college thing. Look at you like working. I feel like that's another thing to Mm -hmm. have gone through as to have that deep understanding for you were saying that empathy of like having experienced suffering, but also having experienced working hard and moving, making things work in your life and Mm -hmm. struggle. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's, that probably informs your work. So eventually you moved to Vancouver, you said, what what led to that? And what was that time like? I love, have you ever been to Vancouver? It's so beautiful. Wow. I love it. I found a, two, two things out there. One was a course where you could learn how to do makeup for film and television. And I, I had been doing makeup in photo shoots here and there. So I thought, "Mm, I I could go to school for that. And then while I went, I moved out there for that school, I found my yoga teacher training. Mm -hmm. And the yoga teacher training program was like a year long thing. And I just became totally obsessed with yoga. Like I I was like, makeup, what? Like I'll finish it because I started it with the school. But I, I mean, I love Vancouver. I I made such good friends out there like immediately. Wow. The nature out there was amazing. Like, but for me it was just also meeting all of these different yogic techniques and I don't know. I have such good memories there. It's kind of like the opposite of what we were talking about, about the hometown of like, there's Mm -hmm. also places that were really meaningful because good things happen there and the energy you attach. It's like hearing a song that reminds you of something bad or something good. Yeah. Feels interesting. So you eventually come back to New York and and at 17, you're, you're working really hard. You're supporting yourself, but you're totally done with like partying and, and being in that world. You're into, this is when you start to become more, into essentially what you do now, mystical and healing and yoga. So what brings you back to New York? What are you doing? Yeah. So by the time I got out to Vancouver, I was 19 because it went Hartford, New Jersey, Vancouver. I went a little, I drank like a little bit too much of the Kool-Aid, I think. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like that's always a phase too, like going too into it. It It went a little too far. So I... When I was in Vancouver, I was doing like fast after fast, like master cleanse, liver oh cleanse. Gosh, I can like relate to all of this. Brown brown rice fast, water fast. Watermelon fast. Did you ever yeah, do that watermelon one? fast. It, I mean, your bowels are pink. Yeah, <laughs> it's no, very interesting. It's so interesting. And like, it's also like, when does it become too much? Yep. Like you're clean. Yep. You know? Yes. <laughs> yes. I, you don't have any more to detox. Yeah, you're, you are detox. Your body knows what to do. Yeah. And if I wasn't fasting, I like wouldn't even eat garlic or onions because it was too stimulating. And, you know, no caffeine, no nothing that would change my energy at all. And like wearing all white and like, you know, it, I would just, I went like really far off the defense. I can relate a lot to, to all of that. <laughs> 
<laughs> and with Vancouver, it was really just like my student visa ran out. So it was just time to move back. And I was like, I'll just move back to New York. And I don't know, New York kind of immediately balanced that out. Yeah, as it does. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. Because I feel like I, when I moved here, a lot of that sort of stuff in me naturally just kind of healed. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. it just, you got to kind of live in, in this place. And it, yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah. It, like, was a, it was medicine for me. Yeah. It's like, okay, here's the real world. Mm-hmm. It's time to land the spaceship yes. and get to work. <laughs> yes. So well said. Yeah. What was that time like for you? Where did you, where did you move? What, are, what did you do for work? So I lived in a basement apartment in Flushing, Queens that would flood about once a month. And oh then after goodness. it would flood, there would be these like giant roaches that would come. It was like... The opposite of this room we're sitting in now. (laughs) It was the opposite of my life now. And it's so funny because like in my mind at at that time, I was totally supposed to be here, you know, in this like beautiful like Soho space, wide open, you know. But yeah, I was in this like cramped basement flushing apartment in Queens, you know. So I was living there. I was I started teaching yoga. I was still bartending just cuz yoga you don't really mm-hmm. make that much money. And I was still doing some like makeup jobs here and there. The yoga started picking up slowly and I was able to do less of the other things that I just was doing for money. Mm-hmm. And by the time I was 24, I was able to open up my own yoga studio and healing center in Williamsburg. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. I think I heard you say that you ran your previous business, which I didn't know what it was, but yeah, that, that was it very differently than how you run this business. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about that and how now you're more in your feminine? I think I've heard you say. Yeah. You know, I have to say, like, for being a 24-year-old kid and opening up my own business at that time, yeah. like, I I look back on that time, and I, I opened it thinking I will do this for five years. I did the five years. I did an awesome job with That's it, really like, from my impressive. perspective for doing something that at that age. But I also, like was trying to build like 30 different people's careers and Mm -hmm. my own. And so, and it's also, it's like yoga teachers and healers and massage therapists, which are not, they're not really like grounded. It's not really like a hustle, you know, there is, but it's not in a, in a grounded way. A lot of the time it's not in like a way where it's like, Oh, okay. I I have to send a bio in and like write the bio, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Different skill set. Different skill set, totally. Things. It's it's hard to do both. And I kind of made a mistake there, I think, where I drained my energy a little bit trying to build everybody else up before mm-hmm. myself with not realizing that like what I actually had to do was build myself up and then that would benefit everybody else. And so that in between the time of closing down 
that business in 2012 and starting offering what is now called medicine readings only. I really decided like what I have to do if I really want to make a big impact is not just focus on one small group of people and build them up, but actually focus on my whole human family Mm. and build them up. And the only way to do that is to really build myself up. Yeah. That makes so much sense. Yeah. And the feminine piece is like, instead of like going out and hustling and like banging on doors and like, what promotion can I do? And things like that. I just decided to let it all come. Like it will, I know I'm meant to be here. I know like it's right place, right time. And it will all come and trusting that. So it's like attraction versus like, I don't know, protraction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've been thinking about that so much ever since I, I had Jenna Zoe on the podcast. She does human mm-hmm. design. Do you know your human design? Generator. Generator. Okay. She told me that what's really good, which reminds me of this, is waiting for the invitation instead of putting myself asking, mm-hmm. waiting for it reminds me of that. And it's been a really big, helpful shift for me mm-hmm. because so much of what I do with the podcast is having to ask people like, will you come on my podcast and having to kind of reframe that. It always goes well when people are either like really excited about it or or come to me. And that's happening more and more and more mm-hmm. almost exclusively. And if, if people don't want to do it, like that's okay. Like I don't, that wasn't meant to be. And just accepting that and being like, this is, this is what's right for the podcast and this group. Mm-hmm. And that's been so helpful. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's so much like trust and patience that you have to integrate into that mindset with it which doesn't necessarily fit like being a business person Mm -hmm. up until now. But I do think that like, if we start incorporating more of a receptive energy into our business, any business, you open yourself up to opportunities that you would have maybe not noticed before. And instead of being in this place where it's like, I have to cultivate, I have to strive, I have to make, 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 I have to receive. I just have to just open up and receive. I have to trust, I have to be patient, I have to receive. And I think for me, that's been like a really hard lesson to learn. But I have noticed like in my business, if I'm staying true to myself, right? And in medicine readings, I'm staying true to myself. I am in a place of like trusting myself, trusting where I am, trusting who's in front of me, what they're bringing, all of it then naturally there's just this amazing, like abundant flow that comes in. But the second that I get into this place of like scarcity consciousness or fear and, oh, I have to do this because what if this happened or that happened and that kind of thing, Mm -hmm. it's like the flow just totally stops. That went right in for me. I really needed to hear that. That, Yeah, that was really well said. Can you go back and define what, feminine and masculine means in terms of energy and how it doesn't have anything to do with gender. I was trying to explain this to someone and they were attached to being associated with gender. Mm -hmm. And I think you talked about really well with just being receptive, but could you explain that? Yeah. So we all would, no matter what your body is, right? Like regardless, we all have masculine and feminine 
energies within us. Like the yogis would call it like the Shiva and Shakti energy. Yin and Yang is that? Yeah, there's Yin and Yang in Peruvian Amazonian shamanism. There's like spiritual material. But the idea is that in order to be in balance, you want to have a flow of both masculine and feminine energies within you. And masculine energy is like creative energy. It's giving energy. It's like, you know, proactive. It's like make it happen, which is important to have. Mm -hmm. And feminine energy is more like spiritual energy. Let it come in, open up, receive it, nurture it, let it grow, be patient. Ideally, you have your masculine energy holding up and supporting your feminine energy within yourself. You know, not saying like you need to go find some dude to support you. Right. You know? right, right, right. <laughs> but just the masculine energy works more as like a pillar of stability for you. So your feminine energy can open up and receive masculine more being like earth and yeah. feminine more being like water. Makes so much sense. Hmm. I feel like my masculine has been out of balance. Like I've been too in the masculine and I'm sure people can be too in the, in the feminine too, but how would you say, well, first of all, I'm wondering like, is that common in the world that we live in too, for women to be more in their masculine of trying to get things done? And you hear so much about hustle and make things happen and kind of pushing ourselves it, especially in the city, is that is that typical? And how would you find getting back into being more receptive and adding in more feminine? I think that um, anywhere you go, you're going to find men that are really embodying their feminine and women that are really embodying their masculine. But I think if you look at New York specifically, actually be it male or female, we have a tendency here to really embody masculine energy. And I do think that's in part because of this quartz crystal that we're on. And it is just such like an activated energy, right? But I think that we have to remember that the sort of collective pulse here is like, go, 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 make, 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 think, think, think. Yeah. And that means that we have to do that much more work to get into our feminine be, you know, sit, receive, meditate, take a bath, rest, float in water, rest. Yeah. yeah. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's why being here, I'm so attracted to healing and resting and having conversations like this and doing medicine readings. And because I feel like I need it more than I ever have before. Yeah. So interesting. Okay. So you have this yoga studio at 24, which is so impressive in its own right, and you have it for five years. When do you first go to Peru and start getting into shamanism and learning about all of the wealth of knowledge that you have now with, with Mama Medicine? Uh, at 24. Oh, wow. Actually, so at the same time as I opened up my yoga studio and healing center, I met a shaman from Peru who was looking for a place to lead his ceremony. And I was like, I have a, I have a place. So he came and when we met, he was like, you're a healer. You have to come apprentice with me. And 
that's how it all started. I started like going back and forth to Peru, traveling all over the place with him and really learning so much and really learning in that slow way where it's like you don't get handed the keys to the kingdom on day 10. Like you have to take your time with this. Like, you know, the first two years of that involved for me cleaning up buckets of puke. (laughs) Wow. So this is ayahuasca ceremony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, And are you living in Peru? No, I was back and forth between New York because I had my business and Peru and then sometimes like traveling. Like I I brought him and his work to Thailand and because I had spent a lot of time going back and forth to Thailand as well. But yeah, that was like the first two years. Humbling. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Sweeping floors and cleaning up buckets of puke. And then after that, I got to actually like sit next to him in a ceremony and hold his flashlight so he could like pour the medicine and it was like such a big deal I was like don't mess this up don't mess this up (laughs) wow that's that's so fascinating because here you are in New York a 24 year old owning a business a Mm -hmm. brick and mortar business Mm -hmm leading a team of people. Mm -hmm. And then here you go, been on your own since 17, Mm -hmm. really like boss person. And then here you are humbly assisting someone cleaning up puke and holding a flashlight. Yeah. Like I know nothing. I know nothing. Like I am here to just listen. Yeah. You know, it must've been a really powerful connection with this person and this content for you to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My relationship with him was really interesting. Like we definitely had a very, very deep connection, but I do think that there was a lot of like, he saw kind of how powerful I was and he did kind of hold me back a lot. Mm. And so you would see like male apprentices of his getting to like, The biggest deal in that lineage is when your teacher asks you to sing. There are ayahuasca ceremonies out there where like everybody gets to sing and it's this beautiful sharing. But like in the lineage that I sort of like grew up in, it's like it's a huge rite of passage when you get asked to sing. Mm -hmm. You have to go through all of these things before. And one of the things you have to have had happen is to receive an Ikaro medicine song. And I received my Ikaro and I was like waiting for him, ask me to sing, ask me to sing. And he, he knew it and he would not ask me. And then I went to a ceremony and I met his teacher and his teacher did not know me. He did not know who I was. He came up to me in the ceremony. He handed me the shakapa, which is a leaf rattle instrument. And he goes, kanta sing and I was like oh my gosh he just and I sing my ikaro and then after that I just started training only with his teacher and then sometimes just helping out the first guy here and there but like it it totally changed because the the teacher was like a real like a real maestro yeah and 
someone who very much embodied his masculine and feminine. Like mm. he, you know, totally like the macho. second guy. Yeah. The second guy, totally macho in so many ways, but totally feminine in others and like receptive. And the first guy, his, his, the, his apprentice was imbalanced. You think? Yeah. Yeah. He was more an ego. Yeah. Yeah. The, the only way to describe him is like super macho. Mm. Like he was a fantastic shaman. Like we, the, you don't use the word shaman there. You just say healer. So, but I'll say shaman because it's what we refer to mm -hmm. it as now. He was a fantastic shaman. He was not necessarily a good person. Mm. Yep. Like actually when my husband met him, he was like, so that guy's in love with you. You know, yeah. and I was like, oh, it's so many things like clicked into yeah. place for me, you know? Yeah. And that's actually really creepy because he was like twice my age, yeah. you know, like that. Yeah. And so good for you for having the awareness to shift out of that and mm -hmm. be like, I'm here for the work, not for this. And if you had been in a more vulnerable place or not been able to see that, who knows? what could have happened and yeah. you were able to good thing you had the, the experience with his teacher to stay with the work but not in this problematic masculine way mm -hmm. yeah and I don't know like I you know with the the me too movement and mm -hmm. stuff like that like I'm actually really happy it's getting going more into like the spiritual world as well yes. and like meditation world as well yeah. because it's like rampant like he so I didn't see what my now husband saw with my first teacher because I only saw him he was like a god to me right you know like I only saw him as like this amazing teacher who's I was learning so much with him mm -hmm. right but when I look back on it now I'm like, whoa, like yeah. that actually was very creepy, Yeah, you know? And I just think like, we do need to look at it more like just because somebody is a great shaman or, or healer or meditation teacher doesn't mm -hmm. mean that they're not a creep. Yeah. You know? Totally. It's, a, it's the same thing with Hollywood. It's like, just because someone is a great comedian doesn't mean they're a good person. Yeah. Or a great actor or producer or director or whatever doesn't mean that they're and and then not to mention the power dynamic of yeah. of you know this man in that community had more power than you and he used that to which caused you to not be able to see what was happening because the power overshot that yeah yeah this is fascinating yeah it was totally like yeah you know I don't know how to describe it, but it was like probably really heartbreaking. Yeah. In a lot of ways. And frustrating, mm -hmm. you know? And actually, like, it took me a long time to process it because so after my my husband's like a Leo, he's like a very like like strong willed, like cool, super overprotective, like all heart Leo mm -hmm. man, you know? Yeah. And so he had just met me. And so he How did you guys meet? Oh. Is that a story? <laughs> I got it. I got to hear it. We can either earmark it, but I got to know. I'm so curious. All right. Let me loop back okay, to it. Okay. Let me loop we'll back, back to it. Otherwise, we'll I, just tailspin. I, I got it. I got the conversation tab. So okay. We have many open. <laughs> <laughs> 
he was like not into if there would possibly be another threatening male. Like his lion instincts was like, uh, uh-uh, uh, like not okay. Like he just had so many boundaries, like so overprotective. And I actually like loved that. Like I, I did not care that he would be totally classified as like possessive or jealous or these kinds of things. Like I just felt so cared for and so safe with this guy. Totally relate to that. Yeah. I wonder if it's just like a feminine, like, I don't know. I I want that too. You want people to, to care about you. It makes you feel. Yeah. Yeah. Cozy. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of being like, like my ex was like, Oh, whenever, like it's all good. It's like, no, this guy was like, uh-uh. Yeah. I'm not okay. Yeah. And so <laughs> and so I told this guy, I was like, listen, like I'm not, I'm not gonna apprentice with you anymore. I'm not, I'm just gonna go with your teacher now. Like I don't wanna help you with anything anymore. Like it just it, it feels really weird for me. He reached across the table and he grabbed my hand and he was like, I will follow you wherever you go. If you, because we we were going to move to Paris, maybe he was like, if you move to Paris, I'll see you there. I'll see you anywhere you go. Oh my God. And it was like so creepy. creepy. Very creepy. Yeah. How did that make you feel? And what did you do? I felt like angry actually. But in the moment I didn't do anything. I just like cut it off, mm-hmm. you know, like if he would reach out to me and just no, like, and he got the picture super fast. Mm-hmm. And he had also met my now husband and he knew, like, he knew I was with a super overprotective male who was not going to have it, you know, because he could read people so well. And like, so he knew that Herman, who's my husband, he knew that Herman had feelings for me before I knew Herman had feelings for me. Yeah. Wow. So how did you meet Herman? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So Herman, he came to a ceremony that I had. We like talked briefly. In Peru? No, in New York. Okay. So he was brought into my yoga studio and healing center from a mutual friend of both of ours who was like this really successful male model. Oh, wow. This guy comes in and he, his name is Travis. He comes in, he sees like, the yoga mats are looking a little old and he like anonymously donates these like brand new beautiful wow. yoga mats and then he brings all these handsome male models oh and then goodness. all the handsome male models like attract all these women and <laughs> it was amazing it was wow. such a magical time right yeah and I, is it the beginning of your yoga studio no the- towards the end okay towards the end and i had I was getting out of like a really unhealthy codependent relationship where basically like I was fully supporting the guy. Like I, I was his mother, like totally, you know? And it just, like, it wasn't good for me. It wasn't good for him. He, he had a lot of like his own issues that he was masking with alcohol and things like that. And when he moved out, he like took everything. He took my bed he took all furniture everything and this guy Travis is like I have a couch could have so he shows up at my apartment with the couch and with Herman helping him to oh my god 
Herman sits down and my friend Stephanie was there at the time and he starts like flirting with me. And he, I mean, he was just so handsome. I couldn't believe it. I like, I like couldn't even say anything to him. And he's friends with Travis. Yeah. Like too handsome to look at. Is he also a model? Yeah. He, he at that time and like many years into us being together was like top, top level male model. Wow. Like very, very successful male model. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Is that still what he does now? No. Now he, he is like more the primary caretaker of our daughter Mm -hmm. and he just helps me with my business. He does not want to do it. He's over that. And that's probably a whole nother story. Yeah. Yeah. But actually it's very interesting. We're talking about Herman because it was, Seven years ago today that he wrote me this poem that he totally channeled after an ayahuasca, after the ayahuasca ceremony that he came to after the couch delivery. Uh It was an eight page poem with stuff in it that nobody could have ever known about me ever. And it was like totally like Rumi and Hafiz and like these poets that I am just obsessed with. Like I read myself to sleep with Hafiz Mm -hmm. and Rumi, right? And it was like totally in that language. And he drops it off in my mailbox. He calls me. He's like all nervous. He's like, I got something for you. Um, I just left it in your mailbox. I don't know. Like, you know, I go, I pick it up. It's like, got a painting inside of it and like it's on this beautiful paper and it's all handwritten like the most romantic thing a a guy could ever do in my imagination right for you specifically yeah and he calls me like two days later (laughs) of course so you didn't reach out to him after you read it Mm -mm. i I don't think so, no. He, oh, he read it. I was at my friend's wedding when he wanted to deliver the poem in Connecticut. And he, he was outside of my apartment in New York City. Uh-huh. And he was like, where are you? I have this thing for you. He was all nervous. And he read it to me before he put it in my mailbox. Wow. And I remember I was at my friend's wedding and I was just like twirling in the grass while he was reading it to me. Wow. You know, And... Then we go out to lunch together. He sits me down and he goes, I will never be with anyone else in my life. I am going to marry you. This is our first lunch date, right? I'm going to marry you one day and I will wait for you for as long as it takes. And I'm ready to do the work. (laughs) Wow. How did that make you feel? Like, okay. You know, you were like in. Totally in. It didn't freak you out in any way? Not even a little bit. Wow. Not even like a tiny little speck of like, I don't know. But then he started just giving me so much. And so now you know a little bit about my upbringing. Yeah. To have somebody come in and just want to like give so much. It For me, it's like, I don't know if I can trust you. Totally. You know? Completely relate to that. So he, he like, you know, I went to my brother's wedding. I come back. My whole apartment is totally redesigned in the exact way I had described to him how I would want to do it, but better. Wow. 
And he bought me a parking space, which like in New York City, that's like so romantic (laughs) to do, you know? And he, that he's Dutch. He's like, I'm going to take you to my country. He shows me all around Amsterdam, takes me to Paris, takes me shopping. Oh my goodness. Champs-Élysées, or I don't know how to say it right, but like this beautiful area of Paris. This is like a movie. I feel like I've seen this romantic comedy. (laughs) Pretty woman minus the prostitution piece. (laughs) That's the movie. There we go. (laughs) Dinner in the Eiffel Tower in the Michelin star restaurant. Like full, he just like full blast. Like he, every time he would leave the house, he would come back with like a rose or like a necklace or like something like total full blast for eight months trying to prove to me how much he loved me. Yeah. And he didn't have to do that. I was like, I was sold at the lunch date, you know, but I, I had a hard time trusting. And so I went down to the jungle to like do a check-in and this was a dieta with my maestro at that time, who was the teacher of the other guy. Second guy. Yeah. For this conversation. Guy, number two. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing I liked about my first teacher is he would really explain like what, what everything meant, why you use everything, how you do everything in that very like masculine way. Like this goes here, that goes there. Yeah. Whereas like this, the second guy, he was much more like, let the plants teach you, let nature teach you, let yourself be patient and open up and receive, which I also really appreciate it. Right. So when you go and do dieta, you don't talk, you're doing a total speech fast, but he thought it was important to ask me if I wanted to have kids one day. And I speak Spanish. Like I, at that time I spoke Spanish pretty well and he spoke like a little bit of English but like with you describe medical terms and stuff like that I I can't I don't have the Spanish for that it's hard even in English to know all of those yeah yeah. so in the Spanish that I had and the English that he had I explained to him that when I was eight years old I had a tumor that crushed one ovary and one fallopian tube that got taken out I had fibroids that was crushing the other ovary and fallopian tube. And I was told I couldn't have children. And he was like, no, I have something for you. He made this like special brew of plants for me. I drank it. When, as soon as I got back to New York, the first time Herman and I had sex, boom, pregnant with our daughter. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And you still don't really even know what the herbs were. No, I I do know what they were. Yeah. So you could prescribe that? No, I couldn't because it's hard to... It's individual? It's hard to explain, but it's like, yeah, it's individual. It's not just the plants. It's also like the magic and the blessing and the way that he, you know, he sang over them and prayed over them. And like, I would hate to like recommend something like that to someone who is in the same place and think it's just the plant because it's not, it's the spirit of the plants that work with you. Right. But you've, I know because I've heard you talk about this, your work has had those types of effects on people helping them. You've done done what he, that man did for you to other people. Yeah. Well, cause I'm calling the plant spirits. I'm calling the nature spirits, you know, like I, I don't give people anything to take internally or really recommend it at all because 
know how necessary it is. Not for my work anyways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I want to talk more about, about relationships and you and Herman, because I think that is so cool. But I, I think for the people listening, we mm -hmm. need to land the plane about we were kind of leaving you just like starting in Peru. So you, you go with the second teacher, you're there for years. And then, you know, you, you said when you were coming back here, you, you originally were trained giving ayahuasca ceremonies in Peru. You did that here when you met Herman, but I've heard you say now that you want people's healing to come from themselves without mm -hmm. using substances. What do you mean by that? I just think that we are in a time and in a culture of doing so much external seeking. Like maybe this will fix me, this plant or method or these kinds of things. This and guru. Yeah. I just want people to come here and yeah, you're looking for something, but I want you to understand that it's already in you. Like I, I can help you find what is already in you, but like you're not lost and you're not broken you're not coming here to get fixed like you're just coming here for a little bit of help like with yeah. the map you know when you can't read a map and you're like God, i read this yeah. map. it's like that it's like i'm just like oh no you take a right it. and a left here yeah so i'm i'm just really saying out loud to you what you already know and like sort of reaffirming that to you and just you know so a lot of the times when you come for medicine readings it's like oh i was thinking of that i've been feeling totally. that lately yeah yeah that's exactly how i felt i'm so happy i experienced it so i can speak to it on this but it's just like you said it's like a tune-up it's like anything you said to me wasn't shocking it was just like that's right that's mm -hmm. great like it was a guide just mm -hmm. like you said so you mentioned you were you were trained in doing ayahuasca ceremonies and and you have this yoga studio when you're going there and you're learning. When did you know that you wanted to end the yoga studio and create what you have now in this beautiful space we're sitting in, in the middle of Soho? How did you decide that you wanted to shift and do it? Was it challenging to close the yoga studio? I still to this date, of everything that I have been through, that was one of the hardest moments wow. of my life. Yeah. So I felt like it was time to end it. But at the same time, I had built this beautiful community that was growing so much. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, like, I just got this feeling like, I don't, I, I think I was burning out, honestly. Mm -hmm. Like I, this feeling like, I don't know if I can still sustain this, you know? Yeah. So like part of that dieta, it wasn't just a personal check-in with what is up with this guy who wants to give me the world. Yeah. But it was also this check-in with what am I really doing? There's something off. Like, what am I really doing with my work? What am I really doing with this beautiful space that like, I mean, I put up the drywall myself on it. Like I built a fireplace, a fire pit in the backyard. Like I put cool. so much li literal like blood, sweat and tears into the physical space and then also into the community itself. But it really felt like there, there was just like a lot of weird energy with not clear boundaries that happens a lot in the spiritual world mm -hmm. where it's like, you know, I teach you something or share with you something and then you go and say, this is this thing that I'm doing now and it's 
my own and it didn't even come from this person like a lot of that yeah like plagiarism yeah yeah <laughs> an unspiritual in, way to say that in the spiritual world you could never say that right. or get like upset about it right you know it's like i'm just inspired by yeah yeah i'm just totally stealing this from you right. but you know it's there was like a lot in journalism, of journalism we call that plagiarism right. <laughs> it, to be more clear you know and so also like in the yoga world wow that that part got really intense in williamsburg around 2012 because it's a yoga studio on every block everybody's copying what everybody's doing i just like yeah. didn't want to i didn't i was like this is not why you got why i'm here that. yeah this is not like this does not feel good to me this yeah. feels like really just ugly yeah, to yeah, me yeah so there was that there was that it was, I was just burning out with having built up everybody's careers. I was doing 12 hour days, six days a week. And it was like the engine just stopped running. Yeah. So then I get back from the, the dieta. I get pregnant with our daughter and I was looking at it like, can I really have a baby and do this? And you were not expecting that. No. And the idealistic part of me was like, yeah, totally. But the realistic part of me was like, no way. Like, no way. When are you going to have the time to take care of this baby? And you yourself. Know? Yeah. And so, yeah, that, I mean, that was like, it, it was so hard to close the space to see other people moving into the space and destroying the garden that I like built, oh. like plant all the little plants, like getting just like ripped that? out. It just, and I was living in the apartment right next door to the space. So I like, I you saw all of everything. that. And then with the pregnancy, I was like really sick. Mm. I, wow. I never felt worse. And so I was like depressed and sick. And then oh, the, rough the apartment all of a sudden got rats and the rats oh. brought in fleas. Oh my God. And, like it, we couldn't have had a louder, like you need to move. Yeah. You know? And so we were thinking, let's move to Amsterdam because Herman is Dutch and change of pace. And also like Williamsburg was such a neighborhood at that time. Like everybody was like, what's happening with your business? And it was like having to like basically tell them that I've, I'm experiencing like this massive loss, like yeah. again and you need again to talk about and again, it. you yeah. know, and just feeling sick and like, oh, intensifies everything. I'm sure. And yeah. the emotions that come with pregnancy probably didn't help. No. Yeah. No, like, no, it was very hard. Yeah. And then we moved to Park Slope and I was seeing people just doing, just doing, I was already doing this in my business, but just doing this one part of my business that really felt right on for me, that really felt like it was me mm -hmm. when I was doing it. And I didn't have to remember anything or rehearse anything. I could just do it, you know? And that was what is now called medicine reading. So then it was like, Reiki mixed with spiritual counseling. There's also this like sound healing element in it. And all I knew was people come to see me and they leave feeling incredible. Life changed like, For like whole, two days. Yeah. Like whole world different, you know? And that actually, while I was pregnant, 
even though I was feeling kind of going through like this total existential, like Saturn return crisis myself, I, when I would offer this, I would feel good. I would feel energized. I would, when it would end, I would feel good. I would feel energized. It felt really like a yes, you Mm -hmm, know? mm -hmm. And then after I had Munai, it was like, I would have a friend over to hold the baby. People would come to my apartment, receive what is now called a medicine reading. And then they would leave and I would go back to being a mom. Wow. And it just very slowly like built up organically to where it got to, you know, we, when our daughter was, to, we were like, let's move down to Peru. So we canceled all our phones, everything, bills, everything, put everything in storage, moved down to Peru. We're down there for a few months, moved back to New York. (laughs) Why was that? (laughs) It just, it wasn't where we wanted to stay. It felt like too intense kind of. And Herman had to fly back almost every week for work. It just felt like we were used to modeling. Yeah. It it was like, we were trying to retire way too early. (laughs) Do you think you will go back there eventually? I, I would love to. And at the same time, there's so many amazing places in the world that I really want to experience mm-hmm. and see. And I'm really grateful for the time that I got to spend in Peru. And I love Peru, but I don't know, like I, I have such a wanderlust. Like I, there's still so much traveling I want to do maybe before I revisit going back there again. I had such an aha moment when you were just talking about how, because I'm in this interesting place of transition myself and I've done so many different things and figuring out where I want to focus. And I loved that when you were going through that really hard time, all you could do was kind of choose one thing and focus on what was working. And I heard somebody say this quote once in a podcast where they said, follow the dream that's also following you. Mm. And essentially like focus on what is working. And you focus on the one part of your life that you did like, which was the medicine readings and just watered that until it became what it grew into, what it is now, which I think is so beautiful and cool. Yeah. I had to really make this like conscious decision. Like if I really, I love teaching yoga. I love people feeling good in their bodies after they come to see me. Is it a big, huge resounding yes for me? No, it is not. Mm -hmm. So in my business, upstairs was the yoga studio and downstairs was a healing center. So I had my whole like beautiful healing chamber down. It was in a downstairs. It wasn't like this, but it was still like very special, you know? And I just kept on going back to the one place that I feel really, really good is when I can work with people in this way, Mm -hmm. you know? When we got back from Peru, we moved into a place that I could not, I could not do medicine readings in the apartment. It just like, it was a, a open room. It just wouldn't work. So I was like, okay, I have to start renting a place. And I rented a room at Maha Rose, which is a oh, healing yeah. center in Greenpoint. Love it there. Yeah. So special. I just did the journaling event there. So special. And right when I walked in, 
the New York Times was there. They were like, who are you? What do we do? Can we photograph you and interview you? Oh my God. And I was like, whoa. Talk about receptive. Yeah. And then after that, it was like my whole career just totally snowballed. Like one interview after another, one like event after the other. And I look at this place where we are sitting today and literally every time I turn the key in the door and I open it up, I'm I'm totally awestruck. Yeah. I cannot believe that I'm here now. You that know? is so cool. That yeah. That is so cool. I'm so, I can't believe that I'm here now talking to you about <laughs> it. It's really, really inspiring. And it's so true. I mean, I love so much that someone who is, who has, been through, it sounds kind of cheesy almost, and I don't want it to, everything that you've been through, like the story you just told me about. And I'm so glad you shared all of that because I didn't, I don't, I haven't heard you really get into that elsewhere, Mm -hmm. but about what happened when you were a child and when you were eight and then when you were 12 and then when you were 17 and then the rats when you were pregnant and then now we're here in Vogue and New York Times and everywhere that you've been featured. It's so, it's more meaningful to me knowing you and knowing where you've been. Like I could, I might cry. Like, I don't know. It's really, really special. And so just right. I don't know how to, how else to articulate it. Like from an observer of Mm -hmm. you, it's really cool. Yeah. I think, you know, people look at this like, you know, beautiful, like Soho space. And I think that people would assume like, oh, this is all just handed to her. And in a way it's like, totally. Yeah, it was from the universe. Mm -hmm. It came also with like really intense, extensive hard work, Yeah, you know, but it wasn't like this it wasn't, I think, how mo- what the picture people have of yep. Connecticut when they picture Connecticut in their head. Totally. <laughs> I'm really happy this podcast exists to hear all of the things that happened before this happened. Mm. And this is an audio presentation and I'm pointing, but yeah. <laughs> I, what's interesting, and I'm curious, and I, I wrote this down to ask you, mm. I've heard you say so many times to me, one-on-one and I've, I've seen you do your work in groups and, and I've obviously experienced it one-on-one, the importance of nature. And I know mm-hmm. you get into nature a lot, but at the end of the day, you live in New York City, you have a space in the middle of Soho. Why here? Why aren't you living in, in nature? I have to be here. Part of choosing to do this work is also being dedicated to a life of service. And like, I'm really here in this lifetime to make as powerful of an impact on my human family as possible. And so I need to be in a place that is very transient for humans. And no place in the world is more transient than New York City. Like there's so many different cultures. Like, you know, people will come, they've just flown in on a plane from Turkey and now they're here to get their medicine reading. And there's nowhere else in the world where I can stay in one spot yet reach globally. Mm -hmm. So it's like part of my secret plan to change the world. And I have to be in New York to do that. Makes so much sense. But it is hard to not be in nature for me. Like the one way we balance it out is to try at least a few times a month to get 
out into, even if it's just like going an hour outside of the city and going for a hike or something like that. Where are some of your favorite places to go outside the city? Um, I really like Harriman State Park. I, I haven't been, I'm so, I'm not from the East Coast, so I never know. Yeah, it's actually like this huge metropolis uh-huh. is surrounded by beautiful nature. Cool. I need to know that more and get out to it more. Even like just hopping on the train and going out east in the off season, like not so much in the summer where it's like all of New York is like out in east Long and, and in Montauk yeah. and stuff like that. But like go to Montauk off season. Wow. I want to do that. So special. Yeah. It's so beautiful. I think I even want to like rent a place and stay for a couple of days by myself and just get clear on things. And yeah, yeah. I think that would be really cool. Yeah. You mentioned when you were saying that you got the idea for this space and what you're doing now and started doing medicine readings, it all kind of came while you were pregnant. Mm -hmm. And I've heard before that there's a creative energy. Obviously you're creating a human being, which is like the most creative thing you can do. Mm -hmm. But do you feel like there was some added energy from that? And yeah, what do you think motherhood gives to your other work? I feel like babies bring in a very special and specific energy for their parents and like sort of this energy, like just as much as I think we choose our parents, I think that we also choose a specific medicine that we will have for our parents when we're choosing those parents, you know, like just as much as our role as parents is to guide our children, like our children guide us in a massive way. Sure, Yeah. My and as they get older too, like as adults too. Yeah, totally. I talked about that in the podcast too, on how when I learn more about life and my mom loves me unconditionally and she doesn't agree, she's forced to like be like, okay, maybe this is something I can get behind because this person I love is into it. You know, mm-hmm. it's interesting. I interrupted. Go on. <laughs> yeah, but it it's like we're you know we're family. You know, we're family, we're growing together. One might be like a whole generation younger, but we're growing together for Mm -hmm. sure. And my daughter, I've always been like a total like worker, you know, and had no problem working really, really hard. But I think like that idea of being very grounded, it came in when I was pregnant with her. First, Herman really grounded me because with him and, you know, not to sound like damsel in distress or whatever, but like, I really, I remember the first time sitting in the room with him, I felt so safe around him. And like that feeling of being safe is continuing to Mm -hmm. this day, you know? So when you feel safe already, you feel like grounded. And then she came in and while I was pregnant with her, I had to make all these really hard, hard decisions. But each difficult decision, you know, closing my business, moving, all of these things, it was bringing me to a place to be more and more grounded and more stable. And then when she was born, I remember holding her and I remember thinking like, what is the one thing that I really want to teach this beautiful child And that just was very clear to me that I want to teach her confidence. Mm -hmm. And, but you can't really teach anyone anything. You can only set an example. 
and like with people you love, hopefully they'll follow that example if it's good for them or not. And so I really looked at my work in that way and how I could use my work as a way of setting that example for her. And that was like, that was when medicine readings, the words medicine readings and the exact formula for medicine readings and the grounded approach to what I had been doing all along came through. Cool. Mm -hmm. Let's define for people what they are briefly. What is a, a medicine reading? So it's either like one-on-one or a group which is the medicine reading ceremony or a retreat, which is like really awesome when I get to go like deep dives with people. Cool. But you come in, we sit down, we talk about anything that is happening that you're looking to call in or clear out in your life. It's like, I think a lot of times because of the aura reading part, people think that I'm here to like tell them their future. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to get into your future. It hasn't happened yet. There's way too many variables like free will that could be involved in it. And maybe we have to talk about past and like past lives and things that like that. That was what we talked about a ton in mine, which I, was fascinating. Yeah. Sometimes past lives will come up. After we, we talk, I'll look, I'll sit with you and I'll look really deep into your aura. And that's when maybe a past life will come up that is going to have clarity on whatever it is that you're bringing in today. Yeah. So it's like when you come in, you talk, you ask the questions, you say, this is where I am. Then we sit together and I look really deeply like, what, how, how can I help this person as much as possible in the hour and 15 minutes I have with cool. her? You know? Yeah. And then we talk a little bit about said past life or whatever it is that yeah. is in your auric field that could be hidden talents and gifts or things that could be blocking you. And then I have you lay down on a bed of crystals, like a biomat, and that emits infrared. So it's already deeply relaxing. And we do a whole healing ceremony with scent and sound and presence, I'll say, presence. And then after that, I give you tools that you can use to be your own healer. Like I prescribe you a ritual bath and then also spiritual homework that you can go and do on your own. What was your spiritual homework? Do you my remember? My ritual bath, which I, I got my jasmine oil mm -hmm. and I bought a black tourmaline crystal from my bath and rose petals that went in my bath mm -hmm. and I did it. And then my spiritual homework, my past lives, this would be, uh, there's so much more I, I want to ask you. We have to get to the quick fire <laughs> questions, but I will tell people maybe in the intro, I'll, t I'll tell people, but that is a whole thing. But basically from that, it was, I in another lifetime really had, this kind of goes back to what we were talking about, about all the cleansing and all the restriction and mm -hmm. speaks to my eating disorder and my tendencies of being dogmatic of I was that way in a past life to put it very, very briefly. But I think what my homework was, was to just be really present and enjoy the life that I have now because I'm here to experience that, which felt so cozy and I couldn't explain why, but really true. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It does all, like it all clicks into place for people. Like I feel like even people who come in and they're really skeptical, like things will start to make sense yeah. to them. Yeah. And I wasn't skeptical, but I had no idea what to expect. Like yeah. I, like I'd been here before and I, I knew you and I thought you were really beautiful and cool, but I really didn't know what it meant. I was just like, cool. Cause I'm into anything, Yeah, but I had no idea. And 
no idea what it would be like. And it was, it was wonderful. And I know you have offerings now of people who aren't in New York to help people be their own healer. Can Mm -hmm. you talk about those? Yeah. So there's a Skype medicine reading. Oh, cool. And then there's also BYOH, which stands for be your own healer, which is a online offering that I am in the process of developing. I have two launched already. Cool. One is it basically it's covering like the big questions that people ask when they come in for medicine readings. So you see themes. Yeah. I see themes for sure. And one is like, how do I cleanse my energy? For example, yeah, you know, that is so important when you go on the subway and somebody is like yelling at everyone Mm -hmm. and you feel totally gross after you walk off. Like how do you get rid of that? You need to go back to your hometown. Yeah. (laughs) When you go back to your hometown, like how do you keep that Zen? You know? So I developed, so it's basically like a channeled message talking about what you do, how these things come up. And then it's the ceremony part of a medicine reading that's been pre-recorded. And then there's also a bunch of different like rituals and like a whole guide to work on that. Yeah. Very cool. Let's go back briefly to ayahuasca for a moment. And I know you're you experienced that a lot and you already talked about why using substances outside of yourself isn't necessary to your work, but you're also very cautious about the cultural appropriation happening with the traditions that, that you use. Mm -hmm. And you're so careful with the work that you studied in Peru and talking about ayahuasca specifically, how there's so much of that happening. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about some of that and the internal dilemmas that you had with using your Icaros. Yeah. Am I saying that right? Yeah. And just what's happening with ayahuasca. Yeah. You know, so when I first started working with ayahuasca, it was like something people took very, very seriously. Like you really prepare for it. You probably, if you're going to an ayahuasca ceremony, you're pretty much sober, you're probably like a spiritual seeker but you're going to do this because you want to have like a a deep dive into your spiritual world, basically. How long ago was that? That was like 12 years ago. So then if you fast forward eight years later, people going down to Peru one time, coming back being like, I'm a shaman. And, you know, they went and bought ayahuasca in the market or they went and bought ayahuasca from someone. They're like, I'm a shaman and I'm going to sing these ikaros that I learned and I'm going to lead an ayahuasca ceremony. And okay, like to each his own, like I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus, but I also feel like it's not really cool, especially with like the ikaros. To me, it's like, such a sacred thing or ayahuasca itself, such a sacred thing, right? I think it's a little bit of a problem already that you can just go to Peru and buy ayahuasca. But, you know, the way that I was taught, like in order to actually be a shaman, there's so many different rites of passages that you have to go through. Towards the end, before I received my initiation, one of the things you have to go through is to find your own vine of ayahuasca Okay, so like go into the jungle. Foraging. Yeah. If ayahuasca wants to work with you, the vine will appear to you. And now ayahuasca is being so like over harvested and stuff like that. That's almost impossible to have happen. Yeah. Oh my goodness. 
And then you cook your own ayahuasca, which is a two-week experience. It's not like a, you know, takes, two weeks. And your hands are bleeding because you're you're macerating the vine and you're covered in like thick smoke. And you know, for me, like in order to cook my batch of ayahuasca, it took me and like eight guys to like carry everything, prepare everything. Like, wow. yeah, it, and then it cooks and it cooks and it cooks for two weeks. And then you have like a, like a eight liter jar of oh my ayahuasca. God. I you had know? no idea. Like five giant pots. Wow. Five giant cauldrons will produce like one. So witchy and cool. Oh yeah. So totally in the whole time. You're like singing over it and you're, you know, you're blowing the smoke of the sacred tobacco mapacho into it and you're dreaming with it. And then it's very important that you drink your own ayahuasca that you've made after. So you can see how this particular ayahuasca that you've made affects you first. Like, so already that process is like just going to buy ayahuasca. Like I can't even imagine how people would give themselves permission to do that, you wow. know? They probably don't even know that traditionally yeah. it is not that way. Yeah. Anyways, so, to the cultural appropriation piece. For me, it's like very hard because actually one of the reasons why I let yoga go is because I still practice yoga every day, but doesn't feel like mine to offer. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't, you know? And I, I deeply love and respect it, but it doesn't feel like mine to offer. The breathing and breathing exercises I kept in medicine readings because I feel like we all breathe and that breathing exercise is okay, you know? Mm-hmm. With shamanism, there's so many different aspects of it that are appropriated. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of the textiles, the look. But for me... I was looking at like, okay, I don't want to be this person. Like if you just look at me, you see this like young white woman. You Mm -hmm. don't know that I spent eight years going back and forth to Amazon. So I really take that into consideration. Like you don't know the work that I've put into it. Like, Mm -hmm. so in a way, like you could look at me and if you would only see the image, you could easily say like, she's offering something that not hers and in a way if I would use the look or the textiles like that isn't mine actually I feel more comfortable just in like this white button-down shirt and like I don't know soft pants that I'm wearing right now like I don't need like a specific look with it right I don't need the textiles that did not feel important to me I have this beautiful the ceremonial dress that you wear in the ceremonies it's called the kushma and I have this beautiful kushma that uh, should people woman made for me before I received my coronation mm. and it was a really special gift so I keep that like but I don't have to wear it I don't have to prove that like oh this should people woman made right. this for me I don't, and I went there know? yeah yeah no but the Icaros honestly like I spent a long time learning the Icaros and the way that they come in is so interesting so like the way that I was taught, you it's not just like a song you learn how to sing on the radio. Like you you have to have dieted with the plants that you sing to. 
So you have to have had spent a week in the jungle fasting, being open to the elements of the jungle, no shower, no toothpaste, just you and that plant. So you're taking on the energy of the plant and then maybe the plant will teach you how to sing to it. And that's how the Icaros come, right? And you receive your own Icaros. So a plant will give you an Icaro if it wants to work with you. So it's not like someone giving you a mantra. Mm-mm. It comes to well, you. Well, the plant w- would. Right, maybe. but not a person. No. there's, But there's also like, in the ceremonies, the way the maestro would train the student or the apprentice is through a transmission of the Icaros. So like in the middle of a ceremony, my teacher would like grasp my awareness and he would start transmitting an ikaro to me and i would learn the ikaro that way too but then still you can only sing to the plants that you have dieted with otherwise the ikaro doesn't really have that much healing power yeah you can only sing to the animals that you've interacted with and shared energy and space with otherwise it doesn't have that much power yeah to sing an ikaro like a song you've just learned on the radio i'm sure it still has some healing energy in it just because they're so ancient and they're so powerful but like to not take your time having like one ikaro can take a year to learn so to not have taken that time i don't know like how much power goes into it and then there's also the part of a shaman's power is determined by the amount of ikaros that they have both like if you've received a lot of ikaros like really receive them not just like make them up like a song like i like this tune but like receive it it's hard to explain that makes you very powerful. Okay. And then if you know a lot of Icaros, like you've been able to actually retain the the ones that your teacher has transmitted to you, mm-hmm. then that makes you very powerful. And so like the whole way I learned how to heal in that eight years was through singing. Wow. And like, yes, working with plants, but it's like working with their spirit, their essence through song. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So going back to the, cultural appropriation, you ultimately decided that, you know, you can implement these things, but in your own way. Yeah. Like yeah. the, you know, the Icaros feel okay for me when they're mine, when mm-hmm. I really know them versus like taking something from someone else. So with ayahuasca, can it still be a helpful tool? And would you recommend it for people? How would you recommend using it safely? What do you, what do you think about it? I feel like let's bring that receptive energy into it, right? If you are meant to drink ayahuasca, let ayahuasca find you is one thing. And then I want I want to say like, you know, I'm kind of like talking all this shit about the way it is right now just because of how I've seen it. But I do want to say like intention has a lot to do with it and like how you meet her and like what what are you going in with like are you going in with like an empty cup waiting to be filled and just so open to receiving like the medicine and the messages that she'll give you then probably that's what you will get are you going in looking for this like far out trip then you know you'll probably get that but like that's all you'll get Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. So I do think like your personal approach, no matter what the ceremony or context is that you're meeting her in is the most important thing. Yeah. Because you could be 
in the Amazon jungle and in a really sacred setting. And trust me, I've seen this a lot before. And you just want to go and like drink ayahuasca in the jungle because it's cool. And like, that's the experience you'll get, right? you know, or you could go and you could say, I'm ready for like really healing. And that is the experience that you will get. Yeah. That's fascinating. I feel like for me, being someone who I remember you saying this to me during the medicine reading that it was challenging for you because I'm so, and I've had so many people tell me this and I've talked about it on the podcast so much. I feel like a broken record saying it, but I'm someone who's so cerebral, so in my head and lack being in my body. And I'm working on being more present and more in my body. I feel like for someone like that, it could be a useful tool but I also like what you said about waiting for an invitation or waiting to receive, or, you know, I think I've heard you say before too, like not doing it in New York Mm-mm. ever, ever like making it this special thing because now it's so, it's like almost dangerous when people do it's it in so New York dangerous. or LA. It's so Can you talk about that? Like energetically, it's so dangerous. New York any city for that matter, but New York especially is an extremely spiritually charged city. And what I mean by that is like actual spirits. There's anywhere where there's like a lot of history, there's going to be like a lot of spirits, you know, and ayahuasca is the vine of the dead. We say like the vine of souls to make it sound like more easy to digest, but aya means death, dead. And Waska is vine, right? So you're taking this medicine that basically connects you to ancestral energy and the spirits, and you're in a very spiritually charged place, guess what's going to happen? You're going to meet, like the spirits show up for the ceremonies. Yeah. So like in my very early years with guy number one, I was doing the ceremonies in the city. So I I very much know what it is like to do that. And even in like a very safe and held space, you're still going out onto the sidewalk and like, you still have this super open energy field and there's these spirits, right? You know, so like you can pick up a lot, Yeah, you know? Yeah. And then Honestly, I would question the integrity of anyone who is offering an ayahuasca ceremony in the city. Yeah. Period. If you don't feel like it's important to give people that clean, open landscape of nature, like be a gimmick. Yeah. Is it just because it's easier for you? Yeah. Yeah. Is it just because you're like an Aya rock star? You know what I mean? Totally. I would be like super skeptical. Wary. Yeah. 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 That makes a lot of sense. Okay. I have to ask you the quick, fair questions I ask everyone. But first, what's it like to see auras? (laughs) I I have, we didn't even cover that. You like mentioned it in passing. I feel like if I was listening to this podcast, I would be so mad if I didn't ask about that. It is like normal for me to see. So I also sometimes forget when people come for medicine reading ceremonies, I'm like, remind me to tell you your colors because otherwise I'll forget because it's that normal to see. But I don't know how to describe it, but it's just like sometimes so beautiful. Like most, most of the time I see really so much beauty in people. Mm. And really most of the time I feel so inspired by our human family and like what I see in them. And like, you know, sometimes people will come in and they'll be like, Oh, I'm a mess. Like 
all this stuff is going on in my life, but like, they're so beautiful, you know, like that it's like almost the words don't match up with what I'm actually Mm. seeing. And sometimes I see people who maybe have like a little break in their aura or they're going through a really hard time and I feel like heartbroken with them, you know? Yeah. So it's a lot of like trying to understand and have compassion and learn as much as I can. How do I, how do I help people? Mm. You know, that's really cool. Very inspiring. Yeah. Yeah. And aura photos aren't really the most accurate thing. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's hard to say because like you don't see a photograph of the moon the same way you see the moon Yeah, or a sunset. And like, what is a sunset? The earth's aura? Right. Probably. Right. You know? Right. Cool. Yeah. I'm going to start saying that every time I'm at a sunset. (laughs) I remember you telling me, I I think you didn't tell me my aura, but you said right away, you're like, do you meditate because something was open or something? Mm -hmm. What was it? Yeah, because you have this like violet, you have like a violet mohawk. Oh, cool. (laughs) What does violet mean? It's a lot of spiritual energy. But you you say like I'm so cerebral and I'm really in my head, but I also think it's you're just really like up. Oh. You know? Cool. It's easier up. Oh wow, cool. Yeah. I was think I was like, don't don't ask her to say what you are, but that was really <laughs> cool. Thank you. But favorite color, these are the quick fire questions. Some mm-hmm. of them are easy. I warm you up with easy ones, and some of them are take, you know, take as long as you need. Okay. Favorite color and why? To see around people or just in general? Whatever you want to talk about. I would say indigo to see around people because it's like the sacred rebel and like the game changers and teachers of the world. Mm. Mm -hmm. Can you see your own aura? Sometimes. I think when I close my eyes, it's what I'm seeing. You don't see it in a mirror though? No. Have you met anyone else who can see auras, who can tell you about yours? I've met other people who told me that they see auras, but then I was like, "Mm, I don't think you do. Yeah. 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 That's so interesting. Okay. What about when we wear colors? Do they impact us? Mm -hmm. Definitely. But also not something to get too dogmatic Uh about, right? (laughs) But like when you wear white, you're, you're much more expansive, And when you wear black, you're much more like internal, like inwardly focused. So what would be a good time to, to wear? So if you want, if you were like doing a lot of journaling and contemplating, you would wear black. And if you were new moon and then white, what's a good time to wear white? Full moon. Okay. When you're like wanting to be seen or you're like giving it naturally, energetically, you're like out. Yeah. Yeah. What about like reds or pinks or like they all kind of have a meaning, Mm -hmm. but those are... Red is like a very intense vibration. It's like very, very strong. You know, I feel like red is like when you, you really strongly want to like block energy Mm. and you want to like really like contain energy. Like if you had something that you really, really wanted to protect, putting like a red cloth over it or something like that. Yeah. I wore a red dress when I was hosting something. Mm Mm-hmm. I feel like white would have been like a better choice. I even changed later in the afternoon. I was like not comfortable in it. Yeah. It's right when it's right and it's really wrong. Yeah. When it's- <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Okay. Ritual baths. 
tips for making them easier. Like I loved doing my bath, Mm -hmm. but I do have to say, it's kind of funny to like go and buy roses and then get them all ready. And then after the bath, it looks like there was like a massacre. I kind of forgot they were there. And I was like, oh, what's that? All the the blood in the bath. (laughs) Like (laughs) making a bath. I wish I could kind of come somewhere and it was made for me. Mm -hmm. So what are some like, I don't know, tips of getting the water the right temperature. Like you take so many baths and recommend so many baths. Any tips, I guess? I think the the temperature of the water is really personal and it's up to you. Like I'm a very like heated person. So I like them to be a little bit cool, no matter what. Opposite. Like yeah. I want it so hot. Yeah. I'm like, cool me down. Like, yeah. So I think that's super personal, but I do think like, couple of things to make it super easy to keep your bath low maintenance, which by the way, like I'm a high maintenance bath person. Mm-hmm. I'm into it. I'm into like the mess. It's like a creative, like it's like painting yeah. for me. You, when you're done painting, you have to clean up right. the brushes and stuff like totally. that. It's the same thing with the bath to me. Like the, the cleanup for me is part of the ceremony, like taking the rose petals out and offering them to a tree and like putting your crystal on the windowsill and like wiping your bath down with lemon water, your bathtub down with lemon water after like the whole thing just feels like the closing of the ritual. But to make that part easier, you can put your herbs in like a muslin bag, like a little tea satchel, or you can just put like a tea strainer drain in the drain of your tub. Easy. So easy. Yeah. And then you just like rinse it out. It's helpful for me just to hear you say that and like to say it's part of it and the paintbrush analogy, because I think, yeah, I don't know why. It just makes me feel better being like, oh, this is part of it. This is like part of the ritual. And yeah, it was like a good reframe. I'm glad I asked that. Okay. Greatest tips for working with essential oils. I know you recommended jasmine to me, which I'd never, I'd never even, I heard of like jasmine tea, but it wasn't really something I'd heard of in the essential oil world. (laughs) And I love it. Like it was so what I needed. Yeah. But I don't know any like top tips on working with essential oils. How do you like to use them other than baths or just anything you have there? I think that in a diffuser is always really nice. Or if you are meditating to put like a little dab on your forehead mixed with like a carrier oil, just to see what that is like. Like coconut or something? Yeah. Yeah. But I think with essential oils, the big thing to keep in mind is less is more. You don't need a lot of it. That's why they're in such small bottles and are expensive. What about tips for working with crystals? Top tips, top crystals, how to use them. Let your crystals find you. Okay. Yeah. And really treat them like they're living beings. Like take them out to get moonlight and sunlight and let them really support and ground you. I really like you working with crystals specifically because you're like, I need to get in my body. Mm. Crystals are like the body of the earth. Cool. And so when you place that on your body, you are getting grounded, so to speak. Yeah. I literally never worked with crystals until I came in here. Mm -hmm. And which is interesting because I'm like always in doing wellness things, but just was never a thing for me. Yeah. I mean, I think that's really important to respect too. Like if you're really called to a crystal, yeah, like, okay. 
or you happen to be outside in a river and you find a crystal, like amazing. But yeah, let them kind of come to you and speak to you. And that's how you'll know you're meant to work with them. Like, I don't think we need to be so specific, like obsidian is for this, carnelian is for that. Like, I think it's more like, well, what does your specific carnelian crystal do for you? I like that. Yeah. Really cool. What about working with herbs like burning sage or Palo Santo tips for that? I think that with sage and Palo Santo, it's good to just really pay attention that they're coming from a sustainable source, just for starters. And also like playing with other herbs to burn, like mugwort is like the Northeast local sage. Oh, cool. You know, it Where has, can you get that? It it's, grows everywhere. It grows all over the city. Oh, wow. It flowers from September through November, little purple flowers. It's growing in like every crack in the sidewalk. Oh, it's great. like everywhere. You know, cool. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily like harvest sidewalk mugwort, you know, but it's, it's everywhere here. Okay. Every abandoned lot, like, and it's such a powerful energy cleanser, dream medicine. Mm. Because I've heard that there's been a lot of problems with over harvesting sage. Yeah. And Palo Santo. Yeah. That's been an issue for years. And it's like, you can still use the plants, but just try to pay attention that they're coming from a really like reputable, sustainable source. How do you know that? Or where do you? A lot of times that they will mention it on their websites, like how the sage was grown. And like, if, if they're just selling sage and they're not mentioning how it was grown, that's like a big sign that they don't know. Do you have (laughs) a specific one that you recommend? I really love go for a hike in California and harvest a little bit yourself mm-hmm. and like leave something in exchange if you can. If you don't happen to be there though, keep in mind that like white sage is really beautiful, but there's also so many different other varieties of sage that smell very similar and get the same kind of job done and are not over harvested. Mm-hmm. So like that's something to keep in mind too. Yeah. If you want to do it yourself. And then if not, I like mountain rose herbs. I feel like mm-hmm. they, they try to do like good. good work with it. And I feel like they're pretty easy as a go-to. For Palo Santo, I, they, they might have Palo Santo on their website too. But for Palo Santo, I just get a huge batch from the Amazon usually. Cool. You know, like from like this person, you know, like he finds a tree that has already fallen down or, so cool. you know. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. Okay. We always talk about body image on this podcast. I know it came up a lot in my session, something that I think about a lot. How do you handle, I usually frame this question as, you know, when you're having a bad body image moment, or it can be about how you physically look or how you feel, how do you shift out of that? So it doesn't become a bad body image day or week or setting a good example for your daughter with that. Yeah. I think that's the thing that I have to keep in mind because what is the example I'm giving to my daughter? Because like with my work, it's just at the beginning of the day, I start thin and then I end super like bloated almost until I take a bath myself and clean my energy. It's just like, it, you do happen to pick up energy in the line of work that I do. Mm-hmm. And so to not feel like 
I'm getting into that negative dialogue of like being fat or being like not enoughness, you know, mm -hmm. and to think about how I would want my daughter to feel about herself and about her body, no matter if she is holding water or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's beautiful. What about greatest lesson on social media technology? How do you handle your relationship to your phone, Instagram, all the things, especially, you know, with what you do in the world? So I really like New York City, right? I also view Instagram as this tool to really help as many people as possible and like try to reach globally. But I do think that like it can be a source of like seeking validation outside of oneself. It can be a distraction purposefully from work that needs to be done elsewhere. And I think it can actually speak to a lot of insecurities if you let it. So I try to really put out real, you know, real, but like positive messaging mm -hmm. and relatable messaging when I am posting. Yeah. And I think that like for me personally, it's like not going on my phone on Sundays. Mm. That's like my big thing. And even, you know, I'm just a couple of days back from Mexico right now. And like for like five days in Mexico, I just didn't look at my phone. That's it amazing. was amazing. I was just like, you know, we went out, we did like family trips, uh, like day trips. And I just brought my digital camera and like left the phone at home. And I only recorded the photos that I thought, this is a nice family photo that yeah. we're taking, you yeah. know? And not like, ooh, this is like got to go up on my right. feet, you know? Right. Yeah. Mm, yeah. That's really, that's, yeah, that's great. Greatest lesson on motherhood? No judgment. Mm. Mm -hmm. Greatest lesson on romantic relationships? You may not want what you need or need what you want. Hmm. Can you say more about that? I feel like, you know, with Herman, for example, I was like, who the hell does this guy think he is? Like walking into my life, giving me all this stuff and mm -hmm. like trying to like protect me. And I would really kind of like fight. I'm, I'm also intense, you know, and I would really kind of like fight him on a lot of things that he was really just trying to be like nice to me and take care of me with. But like what I really needed actually was somebody who was like, I'm here, I'm staying, I'm showing up and I'm going to take care of you. Mm -hmm. And like that, like safety and security, what I thought I wanted was like this, like, wishy-washy artistic type <laughs> yeah <laughs> that makes sense does that cause because I feel that too in my own way in my own relationship does that cause for I'm sure it it does at times cause friction and how do you like do you have communication tips or I'm all I love asking people about that yeah I mean we have like a very very deep and loving relationship we really knew that we were each other's family, but you are the hardest on the people that are closest to you. And so we definitely get into arguments with each other and like, we'll definitely give each other shit, but we never actually like fight. Mm 
mm-hmm. never in a real like fight. Like we never stay mad at each other, hold grudges with each other. Like if we need to say something to each other, we will like sit down and talk it out. And it actually comes up a lot because we're both like very intense people. And mm-hmm. we both like, he's also been on his own since he was 17. And like one of the things that comes with being on your own at an early age is you get used to like doing things your own way. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, when either of us has to compromise on something, we're like, no, like right. this is how I do things. Yeah. You know, you didn't have family and you didn't have yeah. people around you. Yeah. Okay. Best thing you've eaten in the last week. Uh, I just started the Sakara mm. two-week plant, plant-based challenge. Yum. Cool. Yum. So the breakfast today was like coconut yogurt oh. with like mesquite powder Yum. and like caramel apple situation. Ooh. All their stuff is so good. So good. I've only had like their snacks, like their like cookies and granola and kale chips and stuff, but it's all it's so, so good. good. Yeah. Favorite food. What's your favorite food? If you were not doing the Sakara thing. Well, anything that's like really well thought out vegan food. Like, have you been to ABCV? Oh, so good. Come on. So it's so good. good. Oh my God. So yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. But it. if I had to be like more simple than mm-hmm. that, sunflower seed butter. Oh, I could, yeah. yeah. I could eat a jar <laughs> right now. <laughs> Greatest lesson on entrepreneurship. Hmm. Really being clear on what your strengths and weaknesses are and then asking for help when you need it. Super important. That was a really good one. Greatest lesson on family. Forgiveness. Mm. Greatest lesson on spirituality and what do you think happens when we die? Whoa. (laughs) Greatest lesson on spirituality is that it can be really found anywhere like just in a conversation you happen to have with someone just in like the morning, how you wake up, like you don't have to go to a specific place in order to be spiritual or do a specific thing or read a specific book. Like you already are spiritual, so it can be accessed at any point. And then what do I think happens when we die? I don't know. I don't know. It's a great mystery. You know, I can't say for sure. I do think like from experience that we come back again. I don't know what happens in between, but I do think we come back again when we have more work to do. But that's, you know, it's opinion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's always really interesting when people are like, this is what happens. (laughs) Mm -hmm. As if they've, as if they know. I don't know. I think some kids maybe know. Like my really good friend, her son, said this thing that he just remembered where he was before, which I think is so fascinating and cool. So cool. Yeah. Yeah. Really cool. I'll, I'll tell you that's a whole nother story. Okay. This second to last question is really just a way to recommend things. So I frame it as you're trapped on a desert Island and you can only bring with you one book, one movie, one TV show, one podcast, music. It can be like a routine or habit, beauty product, really just these can be current favorites, things that you're loving that you want to recommend to people or all-time favorites that you love? Definitely The Gift by Hafiz. Okay. Yeah. Book? Book. Poetry. 
what about music, TV shows, movies, anything you love or want to recommend? Music. I really love Xavier Rudd. Have you ever heard his music? I think so. Yeah. It's like really positive, like, but then there's also just a lot of really sweet and beautiful messages in his music. Movies. Harry Potter, for sure. It's so funny that I said that at the beginning. Yeah, for sure. Harry Potter. Like, Harry Potter is like my comfort show, Mm. you know? (laughs) Are you excited to share it with your daughter? Yeah, we were actually talking about yesterday, her and I were, she's, five we were having this whole conversation like do you think you're old enough to watch harry potter because i'm so excited to watch it with her but we're gonna wait until she's six okay yeah it came out when i was the first book when i was in third grade and i remember my teacher read it aloud to us and how old are you in third grade like eight maybe eight yeah something like that so i don't know i feel like six is probably i don't know what am i saying i'm not a parent were you scared no, no. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I don't think the first book is, is scary. Also, really. have you seen Outlander? I read no, the books. No, but people recommend that a lot on here a um, couple of times. Yeah. Highly, highly. Okay. Like, so that'd be so your TV I read show all, and I'm, book. I'm such like a, a bookworm. Like I like totally consume them. Uh-huh. Like, so I, of course, read like all the Outlander series, like all at once. And then what? There's a show? There's an Outlander show. Do you like the show as well as the books? Love the show. The actors in it are so good. It's it's so well done. Cool. But yeah, the books are always more special. Of course, yeah. Yeah. Do you listen to other podcasts? Anything you want to recommend? I have been personally working on getting more grounded lately, like with working, not just for the sake of working, but working and having a lot of time for being a mom, which is like kind of difficult to, to balance at this point with my work growing so much. And one podcast that I've really been loving listening to is called the one thing. Mm. Have you heard of it? I think so. Tell me more. Isn't there a book called that? There is a book. The book is also good. I I'm going to like the same person. It's the same. I think it's two people. I don't remember their names. Yeah, people can Google. We'll have yeah. it in the show notes. <laughs> Sorry. But I like it because it gives you like really helpful tools for focusing. I and need like this. Getting getting work done efficiently instead of like doing a bunch of work here yes. and a bunch of work there. Constantly and, responding to things. Yeah. And so they talk a lot about like time blocking. And like doing your the most important thing that you have to do in a day I and not this. doing anything else during that time. And yeah, for me, it's been such good medicine, actually. Ooh. Yeah. I've had so many aha moments in this, but that was one of them. And of course, The Balanced Blonde, Luke's Story. You've been like, on some great podcasts. Free and Native. Yes. Yeah. Very cool. Okay. This podcast that we're on is called Let It Out, as you know. Is there anything else that you want to let out? What have you been curious about, pondering, learning recently, like today or in the last week? What's been on your mind? I mean, I'm in a very weird place, actually, when you get back from traveling and then you are in the city. (laughs) So I think what has been on my mind lately is like, 
this question of how to live in the city where I'm the most needed, but live in it where it feels really supportive. Mm. Yeah. How to make it work for you. Yeah. I've been thinking about that a lot lately too. Like, am I in the right place? Like, do I need to move apartments? Do I need to, how can I make this place that I'm in work for me? Yeah. We like decided at the beginning of 2018 that we are going to focus this year on being just really happy with what we have Mm -hmm. and like not strive, not cultivate, but just be really happy with what we have. And we decided like after this trip to Mexico, coming back, looking around our apartment, that it is definitely time to move, but we're going to wait until 2019 to do it. So we finish out the year just being happy with what we have and appreciating the place and all of that. I love that. I'm in the, I'm in the same boat, same same thing. I was thinking about that last night, actually. I was just like looking around my room and I just felt really, really grateful that I'm here and that I live in New York. Like I've always wanted to. And then this morning there was like a few moments of sunlight where the the room just was lit up in this beautiful way. And I was just like, before I think of any of that, I just, I, I have this thing that um, I think that you get what you want when you're really happy with what you have, mm-hmm. you know? And mm-hmm. Yeah, that just is feeling good to me too. That's so right on. Thank you so much for doing this. We always end, and I think you'll like this, with taking a letting out a breath together. Let's do it. So everyone listening can can do it with us wherever they are. So inhale and let it out. Ah, Sighing feels so good, doesn't it? Ah, So good. Always feels a little better. Thank you so much. You're so wonderful. Thank you for having me. Really, I appreciate it so much. All right, that was my episode with Deborah. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Let's get to likes and learns quickly because, you know, it was a long episode. So here's something that I learned this week. Monday was a really good day. A really good day. I'm recording this on Thursday and I'm about to leave to go to LA, but literally in like a second, another reason why this needs to be short. But I had a day Monday where I was very productive. I woke up early, things went my way. But the difference was I used what I use in meditation when something would knock me off or I would get stressed or anxious about something, I would come back to myself and I'd come back to the work that I was doing just like I come back to the mantra with meditating. So I would be knocked off by an email or a text that would make me feel anxious and I would usually spiral and like make it a not productive day for the rest of the day. But instead of doing that this time, I just got back to the work I was doing and I began again and again and again and Tuesday I was kind of knocked off and things were kind of more hectic but I'm always going to remember Monday and how magical that felt because it did it felt really nice and I want to keep doing it so that's my learn for the week and then my like for the week I watched this movie that was so great and made me feel feelings it's in black and white it's called blue jay it's on netflix so it's really easy to watch availability wise it's short too but there's really only two characters in the movie there's actually only three people in the movie three actors but one it comes in very quickly it's a duplass brothers film and 
Sarah Paulson is in it and she's so great. It talks about mental health and a relationship and it's a really talky movie, which I love. And it made me feel feelings and I really enjoyed it and I just watched it last night. So I wanted to tell you guys about it. I liked it. I'll talk to you next week. There's a brand new episode with Jenna Zoe, human design reader extraordinaire. So get excited for that. And I will talk to you guys then. The emoji for this episode is the jewel, the crystal, the like blue jewel. I don't think we've used that before, but we may have. I hope you guys have a great week. Thank you so much for listening. If you're still listening right now, probably means you like this podcast because this was long. It'd be so cool if you could go leave a review on iTunes, if you could share this episode with a friend, join the listener Facebook group. That's how you can find other people who listen to the podcast, make friends, have some community. It would be really nice. And I'm doing a retreat in December at Kripalu, and I would love to meet a lot of you guys there. I think it would be a really fun time. So if you want to come to Kripalu, that would be great. If you're in New York City, I'm doing an event at The Spring, a meditation studio that I love that my friend Arden owns. And that is on December 2nd. So I would love for you to come to that. A friend of mine is going to be bringing treats, vegan snacks, and we will be journaling and meditating and it should be a really great time. So I hope to see you there and at Kripalu. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you soon. Bye.